0: Yes, yes, welcome into to the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. We're in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios and our guest this week presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies is post-dispatch columnist Tony Messenger. I always enjoy when Tony Messenger comes in because I kind of feel like I'm, I'm doing one of those Michael Wilbon, Tony Kornheiser interviews where they have a guest on and they have five minutes with them and they're hitting them with a bunch of different topics and we're having a conversation about it, of course. In this case, it's more of like an hour, hour and 10 minutes and we covered it all. We covered it all. Gangster Pete, what was your what was your reaction as you sat here in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios?
1: I enjoyed it. Covered a lot of local and national topics.
0: Intelligent, well-thought-out answers. I, li- I I just had a great time listening. God bless America. Well, we talked about the Kim Gardner lawsuit. Uh, talked about the, uh, the gubernatorial issues with Mike Parson, but also how what's going on. And the thing that I think, of course, is the headline nationally, it goes without saying, is the presidential election, how that could impact what happens in the race for governor in Missouri and not necessarily in the way you might automatically think uh, with Mike Parson and um, Auditor Nicole Galloway as it's uh, currently lined up. And then uh, in addition, of course, the the presidential election, his perspective on who he thinks will emerge as the Democratic nominee. And I'm telling you, I mean, it is absolutely, from my standpoint, absolutely. I don't know where I would put money if I had to put money on it, and I was telling Tony, I said, if you actually were looking at the odds right now, they would weird you out because they kind of they're, they're kind of I think they would surprise people. So since I'm bringing it up, I'll tell you what it is. Donald Trump is minus 135. That means if you bet 135 dollars, you win 100 if he were to win. Joe Biden is next plus 450. So if you bet 100 and Biden wins, you win 450 dollars. And it follows suit with the same here. Sanders plus 500. Bloomberg plus 1,200. Warren plus 1,800. Buttigieg plus 2,000. Yang plus 2,000. Uh, Hillary Clinton is actually ahead of Amy Klobuchar. Hillary Clinton plus 5,000. Amy Klobuchar plus 6,600. And then if you are looking to go meta uh, and trying to play out uh, the impeachment trial, uh, Mike Pence plus 10,000, Nikki Haley, plus 15,000. And then it just goes into things that just go bizarro world. So much so we get to Kanye West, if you're interested in that, at plus 100,000, which is comparable to Tom Steyer, who was actually on the debate stage. I don't believe I saw Kanye this past week in, uh, in Iowa. So with that, all that said, of course, we talk about that. I also was curious, his perspective on something that's kind of become a focal point, both in some of our interviews recently, and then also in questions from the audience, and that is the media's role. In um, the division and or the polarization, I think there's a difference between the two uh, in American politics. And I liked, uh, I liked how Tony kind of broke that down, so you'll hear that. That is something that we talked about in addition to a couple of quick hitters with regard to uh, the privatization of the airport. Uh, better together. And, um, and then he's a Rockies fan, and he is, uh, at this moment, tortured by what is going on. Because he's also a Cardinal fan, but he's a Rockies fan first with what's going on with the uh, Nolan one arenado uh rumors i uh that uh, we all are hearing here over the last week or so with regard to a possible trade to the cardinals so all of that is covered it's a conversation that i think you will enjoy i also think probably some some whether you're a liberal you oh i disagree with that or you're conservative oh, i disagree with that it's a conversation but i know some people just go oh i don't want to hear a liberal so therefore i will not listen um so that's your choice of course god bless but Uh, I think you will enjoy the conversation, even if you disagree. Uh, So with that said, thank you to our sponsors for making it possible. TheHomeLoanExpert.com is the sponsor of our studios. Home values, super high. Interest rates, super low. This is not something that's always going to be that way. Capitalize on the opportunity now. If you're looking to refinance, go to TheHomeLoanExpert.com. That's Ryan Kelly's page. And you go there. And within seconds, for real. I mean, you're talking about seconds. Seconds. You're going to be on there and you go, okay, this is all I need to do. And I can figure out where I am on this and what we can do and what the payment's going to look like now. The home loan Ryan is someone I've known for a decade now, someone that I don't hesitate to recommend to the audience because my family's done business with him and they speak very highly of him. And I've known him for a decade. He is the home loan expert. He's online at the home loan And he is our studio sponsor, just like Mark Hanna is our guest sponsor, evergreenstl.com. It's so important have a financial advisor. You cannot overlook it. It is so, so very important to have a financial advisor. Don't dismiss it. Don't go, well, I'm 25 and I really just don't want. It's fine. It's not like, you're like okay, well, I need to set aside even a 10th of your paycheck. I mean, you might want to do it, but it's not like you got to do it, but have somebody. So when things pop up, you're organized. Psychologically, you'll feel so much better. And please, I'm imploring you to not make the same mistakes I did have somebody have somebody who's paying attention to it, not just like, here's my buddy who kind of flopped around in college and now he decided to get into investments and you're going, wow, I didn't know he knew anything about money. He didn't, but that's where he wound up. Here's somebody who does. And his name's Mark Hanna, 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. He presents our guest this week and every week on the Tim McKernan Show. Our guest is Tony Messenger of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Tony, welcome back to the studio, sir. Good to be here, Mr. McKernan. How it's, the heck are you? I am great.
1: It's great to see you. I always enjoy these conversations. Last time, I'm pretty sure the last time I
0: saw you was on a golf course. That would probably be correct. Yeah. No, it's, been a, it's been a while. It's uh, It's always good to have you in. I feel like I come out much more informed than I go into it. And this is the story, and you've uh, you've been on top of this in the post-dispatch and online at stltoday.com, and that is going what is going on with Kim Gardner. So before you opine, lay out what the circumstances are that have led to this becoming a national story. So let's start with with what happened this week. Uh, Kim Gardner,
1: through uh, uh, three different uh, uh, private law firms, has filed a federal civil rights lawsuit against a whole potpourri of folks. The St. Louis Police Officers Association, the, the police union for, for St. Louis— Uh, the city of St. Louis. Uh, Jerry Carmody and two of his children, he's the private attorney uh, who was appointed by a judge in St. Louis to be a special prosecutor to look into alleged prosecutorial misconduct in Kim Gardner's office related to the former prosecution of ex-governor Eric Mm Greitens, and that is an investigation that is ongoing. And the basis of this federal lawsuit are two different sections of federal law that suggest there is a widespread racist conspiracy against her and that it's stopping her from performing her job and that her civil rights uh, have been violated by the special prosecutor, by the city, by the police union, also uh, uh, Jeff Rorta, the spokesman Mm -hmm. uh, and business manager for the police union, and one other gentleman, an ex-cop named Charles Lane, who filed a lawsuit against Kim Gardner related to her use of Uh, private attorneys to defend herself in this special prosecution so that's the lawsuit it's obviously a huge deal locally it it continues the ongoing battle between the circuit attorney and the police officers or to be more specific and I'll get into detail later primarily between the circuit attorney and white police officers Uh, and it's also a national story Because Kim Gardner is one of a new breed of what they refer to themselves generally speaking of as progressive prosecutors who look at the job of being a district attorney or a prosecutor or a circuit attorney. Every jurisdiction all across the country calls it something different, Mm -hmm. but basically a prosecuting attorney who looks at the job differently and is trying to to implement criminal justice reform. This is a national story, and that's why the New York Times and Washington yep. Post are covering it. That's why seven black female prosecutors from around the country came to St. Louis the day after the lawsuit was filed to hold a news conference and, and panel discussion to back Kim Gardner. This is not just a, uh, a retread in St. Louis of the racial battles that we've been fighting for over 100 years, but that have been magnified since August 9th, 2014. It is a national story about prosecutors versus the old way of being a prosecutor, sort of a Bob McCullough versus Wesley Bell. That's that's part of what's going on here. So this is part of a national discussion of criminal justice reform as well.
0: And so w- with regard to this, people see this from the outside looking in, they go, well, what's going on? Kim, Kim Gardner, um, certainly a polarizing figure before this, and now um, lining up with this lawsuit, uh, certainly becomes even more polarizing. In your opinion, is what she is doing, is that something that you think is right honorable or is this about her being tired of what she considers to be uh, getting messed with in her office well
1: I have no doubt one of the things that the lawsuit does is it lays out in detail the problems with the racial divide in st. Louis specifically within its Metropolitan Police Department that's true There's I I don't believe there's any way to deny that We're, we're currently going through a federal prosecution of several white police officers in the city who beat their own fellow black cop Luther Hall. Uh, During the kettling situation after the Jason Stockley uh, acquittal and verdict and 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 all of the protests that happened there, there was the, uh, the the lawsuit outlines the what the Plainview Project, a nonprofit out of Philadelphia, pointed out in St. Louis and several other jurisdictions. That there are dozens of police officers who have regularly put racist material on social media who have continued to have their jobs. A couple of the people in St. Louis who were outed by the Plainview Project have lost their jobs since then, but many of them are still employed by the police department. So there's no doubt that that racial component exists and is at least part of of what is pushing back against Kim Gardner, the first female African-American prosecutor in the history of St. Louis yesterday I think it was yesterday might have been the day before um, the black police officers Association the ethical Society of Police held a news conference and said look we don't always get along with Kim and they don't they're cops and they cops want uh, people to be prosecuted And Kim Gardner's prosecution rate is lower than previous prosecutors. She's trying to send some people into diversion. She's not prosecuting some people because she's got a list of police officers that she says she doesn't trust. There's a variety of reasons. She's had real problems in her office holding on to staff. Mm -hmm. That's one of the elements of the local part of the story. That that gets complicated. She has done in many people's minds a poor job managing her office. That's one of the reasons why some of the black cops aren't necessarily a big fan of her either. But in their news conference, they said, look. It is ridiculous for the mayor and the city of St. Louis and the Police Officers Association to just use such dismissive language of this lawsuit because the underlying arguments made in the lawsuit about the problem with race in the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department are real. So this is an organization that represents dozens and dozens of black police officers. And you know what? Black cops are cops, too. That's part of their point, saying We have a we have a problem with the city being so dismissive of this lawsuit because these issues are real and they've been bringing attention to those issues for a long time, too. So that's one 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 reason why this is so complicated. Kim Gardner is a flawed character. She has not uh, done a great job in her early days as a prosecutor. When you look at anecdotal cases, some murder cases where they lost losing a lot of staff which a lot of the progressive prosecutors around the country are doing on purpose because the way they do business is different than old prosecutors. And they say, look, you want to do it the way we want to do it or not? And some prosecutors leave on their own and some people are fired and etc. But the, the level of staff loss in Kim Gardner's office uh, has been huge. And so that's one of the reasons why there have been some criticisms within the courthouse community to say, look, She's got to figure out how to manage the job. She's got to figure out how to put the bad guys away. And she's at least in some areas struggling there. So that's one of the reasons why yeah. it's complicated. But when the black cops have a have a news conference and say, look, this is real. You've got to pay attention to this. Then I think that raises the stakes. And when you have national prosecutors saying this is real, this is a problem nationally, not just locally, I think that also raises the stakes. The real question is can the race the she can probably prove the racism i don't i don't have much doubt about that but can she prove it to the point where a federal judge says yes this is a conspiracy and it's violating her rights that's a higher bar, according to the attorneys that I've talked to. Um, that's where this lawsuit is that it plays itself out will be really interesting. I'm sure the city and the police department will try to get it dismissed fairly mm-hmm. quickly. If the federal judge says, no, we're going to go to depositions and we're going to hear these things, then I think that puts some pressure on the powers that be in the city to say, OK, how do we how do we get a truce? We don't need a. Uh, to be playing this thing out in federal court over the next two, three, four years.
0: Philosophically, I'm curious what your opinion on this is. I think those who dissent and and don't get into, I can't stand Kim Gardner, I love what Kim Gardner is doing, but those who dissent, so just on a principle, I will read or hear, I understand what she's trying to do, or if they would want to put Wesley Bell in the same category, uh, to an extent anyway, in the county. I understand what they're trying to do. Uh, the progressive prosecutors nationally you made reference to. However, wouldn't it be better served for them to run to office where they're changing the law and they are not in the office of prosecuting cases trying to change how to prosecute or who to prosecute, and it would give it more credence. What is your opinion on that? I,
1: I think the opposite is true. They're trying to change the
0: system from within.
1: One of, one of the most well-known progressive prosecutors nationally is a gentleman named Larry Krasner. He's the uh, prosecuting attorney in Philadelphia. He's from St. Louis, was born and raised here. And... His argument, and I've, and I've read a lot that he's written there, and he has the same problems there. He's a white prosecutor, and the police association there is going after him. And every time there's a murder, it's his fault. And every time crime goes up or down or whatever, it's his fault. He says you've got to change it from within. And the argument that they're making is that we've got to get past this idea that prosecutors are cops prosecutors aren't cops they're an independently elected part of the criminal justice system and so part of what they're there to do is to do justice and sometimes that means keeping an extra being that check and balance in our government system on police officers who are also part of the system so when when, when police bring a charge is it a good charge? Mm-hmm. Is it you know, did they do all the things they were supposed to do? If if, if if one of the cops is on the list of cops who's who's been accused of racism Can they trust taking that charge before a jury, et cetera? So you've got a prosecutor who's a check and a balance. The other thing that these progressive prosecutors are doing, and we're seeing this play out very much in St. Louis also, is many of them are starting conviction integrity units that are going back over old cases where primarily black defendants have been put away, some on death row on questionable evidence, on cases of previous prosecutorial misconduct that were never investigated. And they're and they're trying to set those people free and they're having success all over the country getting people released from prison who were wrongfully convicted. Kim Gardner's trying to do that with Lamar Johnson here in St. Louis. It's the first case of, of, of her conviction integrity unit. And the legal system is saying no. You can't do that. And so the pushback is real. The pushback is is not just Kim Gardner. If you look at what's happening nationally, it is very similar to what's happening in Philadelphia, in New York, in, in Miami, in San Francisco. It is part of a national debate over criminal justice reform. And I happen to be supportive of that concept. I happen to believe that this idea. That we've learned as a nation, and when you look at the the series that I wrote uh, last year on debtors' prisons, or now we're talking two years ago on debtors' prisons, both conservatives and liberals came forward and said, you know what, we have a problem. We're putting too many people in jail for the wrong reasons. We can't afford it it's costing us jobs in our local communities whether it's rural missouri or in the city we've got to find a way to reduce our prison population that's part of what this new progressive prosecutor movement is about and so it's a legitimate idea that ironically has a tremendous amount of support on the conservative side of the political spectrum Uh, but here in this particular battle It's white cops versus the black prosecutor. And in St. Louis, we're used to that fight. And so people get into their camps and it becomes a Rorschach test. Um, I got a text this morning from a, a black pastor that I know. There are a group of 50 black pastors who are writing a letter to support Kim Gardner to say, look, this is a real problem. And she's representative of this problem in St. Louis that we've been litigating for years and never really dealt with. And so to some degree, I think that's what this lawsuit might end up becoming is a symbol of the racial divide that St. Louis has had for a long time. And maybe Kim Gardner isn't the perfect messenger here, but that's too bad. She's the one who got elected. She's the messenger at the moment. And um, I I
0: don't think this battle is going to just Uh, Be dismissed at any time soon. Another person uh, making headlines here in recent uh, state uh, politics is the governor, uh, Mike Parson, with the uh, discussion on Medicaid. What was your interpretation of that state of the state?
1: Well, I wrote my column uh, uh, today, today's Friday, as we're, as we're yes. doing this. I don't know when your podcast goes up, but, but uh, my column in, in today's paper is about the big elephant in the room that the governor didn't discuss in his state of the state. In the last two years, more than 100,000 children have been dropped from the Medicaid rolls in Missouri. It's one of these dubious ranks in which we are number one. We rank first in the nation in the number of children that have been dropped off of the Medicaid program. And many of those children, and I've written about some of them, were dropped off wrongly. They still qualify for Medicaid. They deserve Medicaid. They need Medicaid. And if they don't get it, their lives are in danger. It puts our economy in danger because they end up in emergency rooms and costing uh, taxpayers more money, et cetera. And the governor isn't talking about that. Uh, the governor. Were you has, surprised that he didn't talk about it? No, I'm not surprised okay. because it looks bad. Yeah. Because he's refused to deal with it. His argument has basically been, "Hey, look, uh, our economy is getting better," but the economy, when 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 uh, Georgetown University has now studied it, all the states where kids are losing. Uh, uh, being dropped off Medicaid and comparing it to economic growth, the math doesn't work. Missouri's economy is no better than any of these other states and, in fact, worse than a lot of border states in terms of its you know, recovering from the previous recession and everything. The, 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 the economic growth doesn't make sense for, for 100,000 kids to be dropped off. Part of its bureaucratic snafu, it appears to a lot of people in the healthcare industry that it's intentional. That the state is basically trying to save money by dropping kids off Medicaid. And so I understand why the governor didn't talk about it. But this is going to be a major thing that we're going to be talking about in 2020 because um, a, a wide coalition of nonprofits and folks in the healthcare industry are trying to get Medicaid expansion on the ballot. Uh, in Missouri in November 2020 so that we can do what the Republicans in the legislature have been blocking us from doing and expand our Medicaid. One state to the west in Kansas, the governor there, Laura Kelly, who's a Democrat, also had her state of the state the same day. And what was she talking about? A deal that she cut with Republicans in the Republican-controlled legislature in Kansas to expand Medicaid because every state that's done it, 38 of them now and growing, has improved their economy because under the Affordable Care Act, when you expand Medicaid to cover more people, the federal government pays 90% of it. Those dollars end up coming into your state. Yeah. So what's happening right now is Missouri taxpayers are paying for Medicaid expansion in Iowa, in Arkansas, in Illinois, soon-to-be Kansas, almost every one of our border states, our taxpayers are helping cover people in other states rather than having that federal money flow to Missouri. So the fact that the governor continues to ignore this, it's going to be the major issue in the governor's race between the governor, uh, who's a Republican, and Nicole Galloway, the current auditor, who's a Democrat, who's going to end up being the Democratic
0: candidate. So I'm curious, we we talked about why he didn't bring it up because it doesn't look good. Why... is action not being taken, do you think? Is it just not politically popular? Is that what it gets down With, to? So what's happened over the last
1: several years is the Republicans have basically built this story that the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, as they call it, is evil, is bad, etc. That's been their argument. They refuse to expand. It's all about being anti-Obama. What's really happened, though, is in the states that have expanded, their economies have improved and more people have 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 joined the health care roles and voters in those states have realized, wow, the Affordable Care Act is really good for us. It's a positive, and it keeps going up higher and higher in the polls, and so it actually hurts Republicans. The last two special elections uh, for governors in the country, one in Kentucky, one in Louisiana, were fought over Medicaid expansion, and in both cases, the Democrat who was pro-Medicaid expansion won in traditionally Republican states. That's what's happening right now, and that's why the governor uh, doesn't want to talk about it, and it's why uh, Nicole Galloway is going to build her campaign around it because Medicaid expansion, protecting people from pre existing conditions, getting kids covered by health care are popular ideas. Whether you live in Gainesville, Missouri, in Ozark County, or St. Louis, or Kansas City, or Columbia, because it's just simple humanity. Yeah. People get it. They see the poverty, they see kids not getting health care, and they realize. This is not what government's supposed to be about. And Obama's not the president anymore. So you, you just, you know, we, we need to get these kids covered. Call it what you want to call it. We need to get these kids covered. And that's, I think, what is really going to drive the gubernatorial election And Governor Parson doesn't want that to drive the gubernatorial election. He wants to talk about building new bridges uh, and, you know, doing whatever else
0: uh, uh, he's trying to do as governor. I'm curious what your anticipation is with the gubernatorial election. So much attention, of course, naturally on the presidential election that this flies under the radar. Also, he certainly is not nearly as polarizing a figure as uh, his predecessor, Eric Greitens. So it doesn't have the same lightning rod attention. What is your expectation with what the campaigns do and how this would play out?
1: Well, uh, I mean, the first thing is, I think Nicole Galloway has a massive challenge in front of her. And the reason she has a massive challenge is because Governor Parson is not uh, the polarizing figure that Eric Greitens is. Um, and because this is a state that massively voted in favor of Donald Trump and polling that, that, that I've seen talking to political experts tells me that this is a state that even in a massive anti-Trump correction election, which a lot of people think 2020 is going to be nationally, Missouri might still be one of those outliers that votes for Donald Trump, even if the rest of the nation doesn't. And so I I think that Nicole Galloway has a massive challenge in front of her. If I were, you know, predicting today, I'd say Governor Parson is probably going to win re-election. The caveat is, what happens in the national election in terms of national money being spent in Missouri? Yeah. This is always the situation in Missouri. Missouri is a state that tends to, to, to go big on the coattails of whoever the presidential candidate is. So if the Democrats decide to spend big in Missouri... Or if whoever the candidate is and it's not Michael Bloomberg, but Michael Bloomberg decides, well, I'm still going to spend my billions all over the place to make sure that Donald Trump isn't the next president, then that will have the effect of raising the potential Democrats down ticket. And the first one of those is 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 the governor's race. And so a lot depends on that. Is the governor is is the presidential race going to be fought in a few different states as it was Uh, Four years ago and, and, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin and Florida and Pennsylvania and Ohio. If that's the case and that's where Trump tries to build his, uh, you know, his wall to protect those states and takes Missouri for granted and the Democrats decide to spend a bunch of money here. Well, then, then that changes things. So the, the governor's races in Missouri are often, uh, and then everything below it, auditors and, and attorney general and everything else, they very much tend to sort of follow whatever's happening, happening at the top of the ticket. Um, and so I think that is going to play big in terms of what happens. I also think that if the Medicaid expansion makes the ballot, and that's the question, They're gathering signatures. Uh, There are Republicans in both the attorney general's office and the secretary of state's office who may use their power to make it harder for that ballot initiative to make the ballot. If they get the signatures, if they fight through the courts and whatever has to happen and they get that on the ballot. And so you have Medicaid expansion along with a gubernatorial candidate pushing for Medicaid expansion against a gubernatorial candidate who's fighting it. I think that is going to be a big deal. And so if that makes the ballot, I think that probably drives a lot of Democrats
0: and moderates to the polls. I am curious, what is your opinion of Parson just in general?
1: You know, I've covered him since he was uh, uh, in the state house when he was a, a state representative, and he is an affable guy. He is a nice guy. There are not a lot of people who dislike him in terms of of people in, in politics. You noticed uh, uh, in the state of the state, he had uh, four mayors from the from the big cities in, in Missouri, Kansas City, St. Louis. Uh, Columbia and Springfield there who say they've been working with him to try to uh, uh, deal with rising gun violence in their cities. And, and they tend to think they have a deal with governor person to try to get some things through the legislature. I tend to think he's playing them a little bit because I think he's talking out of both sides of his mouth as it relates to whether or not he'll actually push hard to do anything on guns. Um, but so he's, he's a nice guy. Uh, but he also has some some tendencies in terms of some of the people that he surrounds himself with, who have some real reputations for corruption, trying to make money off of the government process around him, and and it's potential potentially possible that some of those people i think caused some damage to the to the governor over the next year during that race steve Tilley, being uh the lobbyist who's one of them who according to the kansas city star is being investigated by the fbi for uh a deal in independence missouri who was connected to um a pot initiative that the missouri ethics commission uh just hit with a stipulation that said that they likely violated the law during the last election uh and and so he's a very controversial figure who's very close to the governor um and i think there will probably be some questions about that as well in that race and so is it enough to propel a relative newcomer in, in Nicole Galloway, who's going to have to fight for name recognition, uh, with governor Parson. I don't know. Um, but it's a completely different dynamic than, than the last few gubernatorial races we've had in part because he's not a true incumbent. Um, you know, he, he, he ended up becoming the governor after, uh, governor Greitens resigned. He hasn't yet, uh, uh, run, uh, and won a, uh, a a statewide election outside of, uh, when he was Lieutenant governor. And so it's, it's, uh, it's complicated. Have you heard from Eric Greitens? Has anybody talked with Eric Greitens? I have not. I talked to some people who know him, who are sort of in his, uh, orbit, so to speak. There are a lot of rumors out there. Um, and I think planted rumors by, by people in the Republican party who don't particularly like Governor Parson, um, Sort of suggesting that Eric Greitens is going to make a comeback. Uh, the, in, the
0: in what role?
1: Running for governor again no at some point. Way. Oh, there's there's a lot of folks throwing that out there. I don't happen to think it's true in this particular election cycle. I have always thought he will make a comeback again. I think he has the sort of ego and lack of self awareness that 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 makes it next to impossible for him not to run for office again. But I don't think I see him hosting a a television show. I I don't think it's going to be this election cycle, Mm. but um, there are definitely people making noise about that. There was a uh, uh, one of the uh, Republican leaning national blogs, Real Clear Politics. Somebody wrote an op ed just this week suggesting that Eric Greiton should run for governor this year. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think a lot of the folks who funded Mr. Greitens and who worked for him and uh, who generally have a distaste in their mouth for how he uh, uh, was pushed from office, um, a lot of folks blame Mike Parson for that. And so within the Republican Party, there are at least some folks who I think they at least want to make the governor nervous that, you know what? Uh, you might have a primary.
0: Wow, wow. You made reference to the 2020 presidential election. I am fascinated to hear what you think as far as who will wind up with the Democratic nomination, because I'm telling you, if you said, all right, Tim, you got to bet a hundred bucks and pick who it's going to be, I really don't know where I would put my money. I feel like I could put it in one of a variety of directions. Well that scares me because to...
1: you're you're much better at betting than I am. <laughs> you 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 Maybe you, you are Maybe much more uh, familiar with I just with... don't have a
0: read on it. I so, don't have a read on it at all. I don't I don't I don't either. And you know, if do, do it, you it, like, if you, if you though had to say, all right hundred dollars is where I have to go okay, this is where I'm gonna go. You had, do you have a I mean I really I have no idea. If, if immediately I, I do it, I go, well, yeah, but then there's this. I don't know. If
1: if I had to spend $100 right now, I would say that Elizabeth Warren is likely to be the Democratic about that. A nominee. I don't necessarily know that, that that's going to happen. Uh, so I watched uh, this this week's Democratic mm-hmm. debate was the first one I watched from beginning to end because I haven't been interested when there's been 120 yeah. candidates up there to, to actually pay attention. So this week they were down to five or six, and I watched and, and and I agreed, as I've read, most of the pundits agreed that Elizabeth Warren had uh, the best debate performance. Uh, I thought Pete Buttigieg had a very good debate performance and actually indicated that, that in national debates against Donald Trump, uh, I think he would be pretty effective. Um, he's unflappable. He's smart. He's solid. Um, I... He gives me a little bit of a Grighton's 2.0 feeling because oh, they have this, no. they have the same resume. no they both were McKinsey consultants. They're both Rhodes Scholars. they both served in the military and there are at least some people questioning why they served in the military. But hey, he was impressive in that debate and and people I know who know him say, no, he's not Eric Gritens. he's he's a real he's the real deal. Um, the interesting thing is so those as I'm watching that debate, um, and I generally don't vote in primaries, so I'm probably not going to have a vote here. But, but as I'm watching that debate, I was attracted to the two candidates who actually philosophically are, are a fair amount apart. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is sort of the, the, the more to the left progressive candidate candidate. Pete Buttigieg is more of, of of the moderate candidate. Those were the two to me that were most impressive where I just sort of imagined seeing them on a national stage appealing to voters in a different way. I thought those are the two that that, that were more likely. Joe Biden was not impressive yeah. at all to me. That's he, been the he, case throughout. He, I've watched he looked multiple. tired. He lo- and, and part of this is just my own history. I've been watching him in presidential debates for like, you know, seven election cycles yeah. now. And so— uh, but he continues to lead in the polling. Uh, he's, he's led in the polling. He's led in the polling. He's led in the polling. But here's the deal. When you actually get into the state-by-state state voting, that's when things really start to change. So Iowa's coming up and then New Hampshire and, and, and South Carolina, and I think things will significantly start to change. Biden has enough money to to, to make it through a couple of of difficult rounds if he doesn't do as well uh as he looks and so you know every state you 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 tend to have one or two people drop off and you you end up with with two or three i think sanders is going to be around for a long time uh he just there's 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 something about his performance that i get a little bit of that grumpy old man thing but he's consistent and um um has a very strong following. And so, you know, I I wouldn't bet against Sanders. I wouldn't bet against Biden. I wouldn't bet against Buttigieg. I wouldn't bet against Warren. That's um, the issue. Um, and there's, there's, get- there's four of them up there. And, yeah. and meanwhile, you got Bloomberg. You're you're watching the debate, and then you're watching Bloomberg on Twitter and, 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 and TV, you know, paying for all the ads. Now, I don't think there's any chance Bloomberg's going to be the nominee. But what does he decide to do with his money, and who does his money— I mean, it's clear what he's trying to do. He just wants to make sure Donald Trump isn't the next president. Um, but what does his money actually do in terms of does he end up helping one candidate or another? I don't know. But I, it's 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 hard for me to to, to predict right now um, who's actually going to rise above. I, I could see any of those four ending, you know, Biden, Warren, Sanders or Buttigieg being the, uh, the nominee. I
0: hope you're enjoying our conversation with Tony messenger here on the Tim McKernan show. This podcast is not possible without our sponsors and James Carlton is not only a sponsor of the podcast. He is my insurance agent. His number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. The key, the key in dealing with trouble that comes your way which is what it is when you're when you're having a deal with your insurance agent, is having somebody who you know you can trust. And having someone who, when you have to call them, when that moment happens, and unfortunately it will, that you know you're going to be talking to somebody and there is a staff who is going to tend to it. And I'm telling you, had I not made the switch to James Carlton, when our home was flooded in 2019, it would have been, Absolutely brutal. It's already unpleasant. It's not like it was pleasant, but because of James and his staff, the situation of getting attended to was easy. And that's a hard thing to say when you're talking about your basement getting flooded and it happened a couple of different times, actually. Uh, James Carlton, 314-961-4800. Go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. Now back to Tony Messenger. I'll throw more fun with uh, gambling slash percentages at you. Um... I am of the opinion, and also if you look at Bovada, a sports book, that uh, Donald Trump will be reelected. doesn't mean that that's necessarily something that I will be voting for, but just looking at the numbers, I think he's minus 130, which means if you bet $130, you'd win 100 So he's a favorite. Um, do you share that opinion that he is likely to be reelected? I don't, but but it's more because
1: I think it would be horrible for the country. Okay, well we gotta but we got to separate the but, two for the purpose but, of the. But, cover. But, but but this is why this is why this is why I can't bet because you got your heart going. A, a perfect example. So my son plays fantasy football. He, he's a freshman, and, and and a bunch of and you tell me draft all Broncos. Exactly, I can't True play Lock, fantasy Cortland, football because my whole team would be Denver Broncos. I can't bet with my brain because my heart gets in the way. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, there's a lot that's going to be happening in the next few weeks with the, the the impeachment trial in the Senate, with new information that is coming out that's damaging every single day. Just this week, the GAO, which Republicans traditionally look to as, as, a, as a nonpartisan organization, came out and said he broke the law, period, end of story. Um, I think most Republican senators will ignore that because they've already made their bed, but I'm not going to say he can't win because I really thought that was the case. Uh, you know, in 2016, and obviously he did,
0: and uh, um, and and so yeah, it scares me that he could win again. I think if you had a, can- I mean, here we are, we're having this conversation, and neither one of us have any idea who is going to emerge, and we're talking about four people. I can't recall now, maybe you can. Um, when you're at this point, a couple of weeks away from Iowa, where you really feel like there are four can, and the polling also reflects that that there are four candidates who are. Live And again, that's not including Bloomberg, who's not involved in, in the early uh, in the early states. At this point, this late now, maybe you can point to one. I feel like it was kind of obvious with with Romney and then it was Romney and McCain in 08. Um, maybe in 2004, with the Democrats, I don't know if Kerry had pulled away that early. I feel like it was Kerry and Edwards were, were doing. But for this late, the reason I bring that up, Tony is I don't know if you're going to have people voting enthusiastically for whoever emerges of those four, unless it's Bloomberg or somebody else, as opposed to just going, well, there's no way I'm voting for Donald Trump, and so I'm voting against Donald Trump. In other words, you don't have somebody who inspired people to vote for better or for worse in 2016 for Donald Trump, and you're not going to have somebody who inspired people to vote for better or for worse, depending on one's perspective in 2008, for Barack Obama. And so I don't know if the Democrats— have that. And that's why I also at this moment would bet on Donald Trump, recognizing there's a wide delta on what can happen between now and November, certainly with the developments in, in Washington. But I, I, I see it that way. Well,
1: let's look back at a couple of elections. First, right. let's just look at the last one Okay,
0: before Iowa. How many Republicans
1: were there going into Iowa? A lot more than four. Yeah. Okay. Remember, they were doing debates with 12, 16 people up there. And, and, and Trump was referring to... Uh, uh, little Mario and, and little giving Marco, them all Marco, yeah, Marco, and giving, uh, them, all, giving uh, them all, little, giving them all little, giving them all little nicknames right. and everything. Jim Bush on tilt. Nobody in the Republican Party, well, very few people in the Republican Party were saying Trump was going to win, Absolutely. before Iowa. But he was, okay? he
0: was resonating with he people. He was resonating with the party. He, they were they were having cautionary tales, but with the right. people, he was. But
1: but also go back to President Obama's first election. Democrats were saying it was Hillary Clinton's election oh, yeah. before Iowa. It oh, was yeah. a done deal. Even right. after right. Iowa, it was still Hillary. And then, you know, who is this guy? He hasn't, he, you know, he hasn't. So uh, he he
0: won Iowa, and, Hillary Clinton and, won New Hampshire. Yeah.
1: And, 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 and then Obama just rose and rose and rose and became the inspirational figure that he became within Democrats. And So you're he, saying he, it's still possible for someone to oh, absolutely. Okay. absolutely. Right. I think, I think once you God, start. I just don't look at the, fa- I, I, I could see that with Buttigieg, s- I think. I, I could see that with Buttigieg. I could see it with I him. I could see it with Warren. I, I can't see—I I have to say this about Sanders. I know a lot of people who are who are fans of his, and, and they are inspired by him. Uh, I haven't gotten there yet, um,
0: but— but I think people buy into him. It's I early, think that. It, even if they don't agree it, with him, I think they believe that he means what he says. And it's like when Jason Kander talked about how he fared against Roy Blunt in 2016. Even if you don't necessarily agree with the person, if you feel like the person is telling you what they really think— Even if you are on the opposing side, as obviously he wasn't a state that Trump carried comfortably, he'd fared better than Hillary Clinton did because he believes his message resonated because people believed him. Because people believed him. Exactly. People believed him. And and, and that's why when I
1: go back to the debate, um, whether I agreed or disagreed with with. with their individual positions, I believed Warren, I believed Buttigieg, okay. and I thought they looked strong and consistent and powerful within the context of of who they were going to appeal to. So, I still can imagine, much as what happened with Obama, much as what happened with, uh, sadly, with, with Trump within the Republican Party in the last election, that over the next couple of months, two, three months... Um, somebody rises up within the Democratic Party that does become that inspirational figure or that figure that people unite behind. You know, party politics is really interesting. Um, On on Twitter, I follow a wide array of people on all different political spectrums. And within the uh, Republican Party at this time during the last election, oh, they were just beating the crap out of each other about how much they hated this candidate or that candidate and they were never Trumpers and they were this and that until they united. Right now, the Democrats on my Twitter feed... Every candidate is either the second coming or the worst candidate right. in the history that they're going to ruin the Democratic Party. They'll never beat Trump, et cetera, et cetera. And I guarantee you, my Twitter feed starts to change a month or two from now when they realize this is our candidate. Let's get behind them or whatever. Or they've convinced me or whatever. There's a whole swath of voters out there that are people like my wife who. Doesn't pay attention to politics at all, doesn't watch the talking heads, doesn't spend time on Twitter. She's taking care of kids. She's going to work. But she's, she's a go- much happier
0: person. She's she? probably is. And
1: and 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 all she does is like when I'm watching the debate, she'll walk through the room and say, Who was that person? I did not like them. And it's like, that's how a lot of voters um Decide who do they who, who do they connect with? Who do they feel? And so in three months, when all of a sudden we're seeing one Democrat on stage and we're seeing or maybe two and we're seeing, uh, you know, the, the, the television ads that are this person's life story introducing themselves to people like my wife. The dynamics start to change, yeah. and so it's impossible to predict right now. I'm sure there's people, you know, putting their money down on all of these, you know, betting lines and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the, you know, if, if you and I get together in three months and then six months, the answer's going to be different. Yeah, both cases. I, it was
0: it was interesting. You know, we have this uh, TMA fan page, the radio show fan page. There's like seven thousand one hundred members, you know, uh, real human beings. At least I think about sixty eight hundred of them are, and they interact. And, uh, and I think it's a, it's a decent reflection of, of the St. Louis area. I would say it would probably skew about 55-45 conservative. But so you're getting—and, you know, sometimes I think we'll get—like, for example, this is this is one here where, as I just said, it's 55-45, I think, about uh, conservative. And I put a poll up yesterday, and there's about 600 votes now. Yeah. Uh, would you like to hear from witnesses in the Senate impeachment trial? And again, 55-45 conservative— and I would say, Tony, right now it's about ninety-two percent yes. Yeah. So people are able to go based on principle right. over part, which is which is refreshing. Right. Um, so with regard to that particular topic, uh, do you think we will? Oh, absolutely.
1: Okay. I, I I think this is this is what's funny is as you watch the and and I'm not a national political reporter. I'm not talking to Nancy Pelosi's people and Donald Trump's people on a regular basis. But but I've covered enough politics to watch this. I, I was fascinated when um, when Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi finally announced she's going to send the articles over. And of course, Republicans immediately said, "Oh, she caved. She caved. She lost. She lost." And I was like, "No." No, because when you look at what's actually happening on the Republican side, she's got a deal. There are enough Republicans now saying, hey, we want witnesses. That's all she wanted. She knows that Republicans are probably not going to indict him. They've already made their bed. They've already decided that to heck with the oath that they took yesterday in front of the chief justice. Most of them have already said this is a farce. I'm, I'm supporting the president, et cetera. But there are enough Republicans, at least four, probably more who I believe have already made a deal with with Speaker Pelosi or through channels or whatever, that like every other impeachment trial in the history of impeachment trials, they're going to hear from witnesses and they're going to want documents. Now, will the president try to stop John Bolton? Maybe from testifying. It'll be the first time that's ever happened. But again, uh, I believe we're going to have witnesses. I believe there's going to be documents. I believe that the the that the investigation that the House is continuing to do on some of this new information, like that came out from uh, Lev Parnas in the past couple of weeks, mm-hmm. uh, is going to continue to play. I would not be shocked that we end up having more House hearings on other articles of impeachment at this point. I don't know the 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 process by by which the House can do that after they've already sent over two articles of impeachment. But this drama is going to at least play out to some degree with a level of, I I think Chief Justice Roberts cares enough about his legacy um, that he's not going to allow it to be a farce. Mm. And I think there's enough Republicans and I think it's been clear from Uh, uh, majority leader uh, Senator McConnell's statements that he knows he doesn't have the votes to dismiss, that there's going to be a trial, there's going to be witnesses um, it's going to be bad for the president and then Republicans are still probably going to to protect him and allow the voters to decide in 2020 what really happens.
0: I, I don't really recall much, I was still in school, um 1999 with the, the President Clinton impeachment and, and when it got to the Senate. I know uh, I watched a documentary this week on it actually to, to um, try and learn more about that, which I wasn't paying attention to it at 22 years old um, and at the University of Missouri at the time. And it, it was a big deal on the witnesses thing initially. And I guess I gather it was Vernon Jordan, Monica Lewinsky, and then eventually a third person as well. And they were able to testify, but they were video recording testimonies for their depositions uh that's how that wound up playing out and eventually nobody crossed party lines right and they didn't get the the number I they think didn't it indict was, him right. yeah, yeah i think it was 56 and they needed to convict 67. him right so do you recall do you recall that do you see parallels i mean they always show lindsey graham up there you know speaking how he was speaking then and speaking how he's speaking yeah. now oh yeah it's, it's a wonderful completely 100 contradictory <laughs> absolutely
1: i don't know how i don't know how folks it's like Look, I, I I get it. There are people who go into politics who who uh, I I guess just don't care about truth anymore. But um, so so I don't get how, how 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 people can just completely contradict themselves. Yes, there were witnesses. Yes, the Democrats controlled the Senate and were able to uh, uh to make sure that, that that they protected their president. Um, completely different circumstances in terms of 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 what. Uh, they were indicted for. I I, I was offended by what uh, President Clinton did and and do believe that he should have been impeached over it. Frankly, I think he should have resigned. Um, I'm more offended by the number of laws uh, that this president has broken and absolutely believe he should have been impeached and, and should have resigned and should be convicted. He won't do either of those things more than likely. This is a president who just just yesterday, all of a sudden we found out that in fact, there were several soldiers in the attack in Iraq by Iran uh, on the military base, the Iraqi military base that had American soldiers. There were casualties, not people who died, but but several soldiers who were uh, uh, injured in some cases, seriously, that have now been flown uh to germany for treatment the president and uh his people told us there were no injuries no americans were hurt he lied to us about american soldiers i have a son who's a marine captain right now uh i'm deeply deeply offended by the president lying about the condition of american soldiers Uh, that's wrong that can't happen that's really offensive now that's probably not an impeachable offense but it just adds to uh, you know, the, the, the feeling that this is somebody who shouldn't occupy the White House. But we have created this new political dynamic where um, the Republicans in control have given up all high ground of, of moral authority for the positions that that they used to stand for. Uh, Because it's all about identity politics and this is Trump's party and they are Trump's people and so they're going to do everything they can to protect him. So I don't believe the president will be convicted, but I believe the impeachment trial in the Senate will be very damaging to him because people will see the witnesses and the information and when they see their senator vote not to convict um, it'll have longstanding
0: impact within those individual elections in different states. I'm curious on your perspective on this. I'm of the opinion that the media, and when I say this, I want to make make this clear. It's not like I'm like pointing fingers at particular writers, radio hosts, television personalities. That's not—has has played a role in the division, and by that I mean it's profitable to divide. I think—now, I think that— uh, I had uh, former Senator Jack Danforth in about a month ago, I guess, Tony, and we were talking about that. And he said the core issue is, in his opinion, is that if I get my information from one place and I believe that that's true, and you get your information from another place and you believe that's true, you can't even have a debate over the opinion on what is right and wrong. You wind up arguing about whether it's true or false. Right. And so you don't even get to the to the meat of having a philosophical debate. Two questions for you. First off, do you agree with that? And secondarily, when... And how if you agree did you do you think that this started so yes I tend to agree with you
1: but let's define the media when when we define the media in that national context what we're actually talking about are the talking heads on cable because that's what people are referring to because I had this conversation with... But uh, then
0: everybody gets painted with the one brush. Everybody gets painted with right. the
1: one brush. So I had this conversation with, with one of my sons the other day. I said, if you actually read the front page of the New York Times, which is considered by people throughout the spectrum as the leading left newspaper, it's not when you're talking about the reporting. But when when you look at the front page of the New York Times and read it, and you read... The same topics covered on the front page journal and read the articles, they're really, really Mm -hmm. similar, Mm -hmm. okay? Because the reporters are some of the best reporters in the country, and they're doing a great job. Now, you read the editorial pages of those two newspapers, and they're going to come to opposite conclusions. But if you actually read the reporting in America's newspapers of record, it's very similar, and it is very damning to the president, but that's not how we actually define the media when we're talking about media. We're talking about the talking heads on CNN, MSNBC and Fox and they're telling a different story and yes, they're profiting from the division and it's bothersome. It's, it's the problem, it's it's part of the problem with the country. And so uh, I agree with that. And I agree that we tend to go into our 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 respective corners and and bubble. and pick and choose what we read. This is where relationships really matter. I have Grown children who uh, have probably rebelled from, from, you know, being my son, my children, who, who, who I think voted for Trump, who tend to be a little bit more conservative. Um, and it bothers the heck out of me. But you know what? We communicate. And so there's an opportunity sometimes for me to both learn from them and also let them know when they mention something. Oh, by the way, that information you got was from a bad source. Let me give you a different source. I had an interaction. There's a guy that I email with all the time. I, I met him for coffee a year or two ago. He's a conservative from uh, uh, West eh, North Northwest County area. He's not one of those dog avatars in the comments section, no, is he? No. He's 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 a he's a real person who who's a conservative, but who was who was uh, attracted to my reporting on criminal justice reform. He believes in that concept um, because he's had a child go through the criminal justice system that that he believes was was treated poorly and unconstitutionally, et cetera. So so we developed a relationship. He agree, agrees with me on maybe one of ten columns that I write. But we communicate about stuff. And so he sent me the other day a link to an article that 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 was completely false. It was from a blog that had picked up something from a right wing blog from three years ago and presented it as something as truth. And I found a source to debunk that for him that, that j- just explained, look, this is where that came from. It's not true and sent it to him. We have enough of a relationship even though we're two people who disagree a lot that he was like, "Thanks for that. You're right." That 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 that, oh. that that's not true. Now, I didn't then say, "Stop reading this crap. Stop going to wherever you're getting this stuff." But I our relationship allowed me to help educate somebody on some place where they were getting really bad information and using it to color their world view how many of us today have those relationships outside of our bubble Mm. you know it's funny because people give me uh I, i i know you see it in the comments uh there's folks in the comments that refer to me as wildwood tony and when i write about stuff in the city both conservatives and liberals well, why should we pay attention to you? You live in Wildwood. You know what's great about me living in Wildwood? I go to church with conservatives who voted for Trump and were friends. And I work downtown and and deal with liberals who would never vote for Trump ever and were friends. And so I am, I think, relatively unique in today's society in that I walk in those different circles. Part of it's because of what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. Um But I really value walking in those circles so that every once in a while I have that one interaction like I did with my emailer friend where I can give him some information. And you know what? I get information from him, too, because I understand where he's coming from. And it's not always that he just is 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 reading stuff on a on a bad right wing news blog that's just, you know, trying to play with his brain. It's 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 that. I I understand that he has a different worldview and I understand why his worldview is different. Um, I I don't always agree with it, but at least I understand it a little bit. And that's one of the things that I don't think we do enough of in society is just meet people outside our bubble so that we can have the sort of relationship, we find that connection, whether it's, you know, we both had cancer, we both have kids who play basketball, we, 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 we worship the same God, whatever it happens to be, we, we find those connections. And then when it comes time to have a question, a conversation over a cup of coffee, who are you voting for and why, you can actually have that conversation and respect it and maybe bring some information to the table that can help make this country a better place. Very interesting.
0: Very, and I agree with that because people wind up just arguing on social media, nameless, faceless arguments. Um, I want to do some quick local um, back and forth with you here. Uh, The privatization of the airport, dead. Is it dead, dead, dead? Or is it dead, but Maybe it can come back to life, dead kind of like the MLS was dead. But maybe it's going to come back to life, and then it did. I, I think the airport privatization
1: is dead. I'm dead, glad. Dead, dead, it, dead. I'm glad it's dead. I think it was a horribly corrupt process. And why from were you silencing
0: outside of what you just said right there? The corruption because it was a horrible yeah. look. Look, this
1: I I wrote this column two years ago, when 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 the process started, and they sought bids for people to advise them, just the people to advise them. Two things. One, almost every one of those bidders, all big major international companies, told the city the same thing. Don't do this the way you're intending to do it, which is have one rich guy pay for it and then give them a bonus if it happens. Because then all the incentive is for you to get advice that you privatize, not you to get best advice objective advice and the city ignored them and of course picked grow missouri so that's number one that 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 it was a bad decision when they gave grow missouri that contract to be their advisor they were already under contract with grow missouri to devise the, the the bidding procedure to decide who was going to advise them And I wrote about that. And at the time, the city said, oh, no, no, that contract was over. Well, I had read the contract, and the contract said it had to be uh, canceled in writing. And so I asked for the canceled in writing contract. And they're like, oh, yeah, we didn't ever actually cancel that contract. but, but, But we were acting as though it was canceled. So the entire process, if any government ever did that, it's like, no, you can't do that. You can't, you can't have a private organization write the process and control the process on who's going to advise and then give that same person the contract while you're still under contract with that person. It's a horrible conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. And they knew this and they kept going forward. So from that moment at the very beginning, it was corrupt. And, and they were never going to get good advice and they never actually did the first thing they should have done, which is have open public debate on whether or not moving toward the concept of privatization makes any sense at all. So I think we're done with that, but I don't think we're done with – it's part of that greater regional you know, con- discussion of, of regionalism in St. Louis that it, from the very first time you and I met and we were talking about Better Together – those those discussions haven't ended. Those discussions have been going on in St. Louis for decades, and so we're going to continue to have that discussion. Whether it's the county and 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 St. Charles County and Warren County and Franklin County and 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 the counties over across the river yeah. in Illinois, all of us, you know, starting to do some things uh, more regionally. To, whether it's take advantage of the airport, whether it's reduce the number of municipalities, the pressure for all of those discussions to continue is going to happen. The question is, how do we do that? Will we learn from the last two years of Steve Stinger's corruption, of the better together uh, a process that was completely top-down and and private and behind closed doors and controlled by primarily one funder, the airport privatization controlled by the same funder, also tied to Steve Stinger, also held behind closed doors. Will we learn from that and stop being afraid of debate and discussion that is difficult and sometimes ugly and hard, but... but yields better responses and and can build to some sort of consensus, because we're not going to stop talking about regionalism. It's just not going to happen. So whether that involves the airport in some capacity in the future, that conversation will come up mm-hmm. again. Uh, r- reducing the number of municipalities is going to come up again. Combining police forces or fire departments, that stuff's going to keep coming up. The question is, will we find a way as a community to have those Conversations in a meaningful and democratic way that empowers voters,
0: and, and and I was the natural segue from the privatization of the airport. You already got into it was better together. Dead dead, the discussion on the city county merger. You don't hear it at this moment as much, and I think that's part of the hangover of the Better Together downfall. Do you see anybody leading that charge or some version of it in the next year or two? Or are we kind of in a downtime for it? I think we are probably. Uh we're probably in a situation where
1: you know and this is one of the things that happens in in St. Louis a lot we're we're starting to build for the next mayoral election we're starting to build for the next county executive election um i think those conversations will will take Priority And any time you're talking about elections, uh, those conversations get fraught with peril yeah. in terms of, oh, you're only supporting it because you support this candidate or that candidate or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see in both the mayoral election and the county executive election how this concept plays out, this concept of regionalism, um, because it's it's been a third rail in elections uh, in the last— decade or so in st louis and so will the candidates will sam page and jake zimmerman and anybody else who might happen to run for county executive talk about regionalism and how will they talk about it will uh mayor and kara spencer who's announced for mayor tashara jones who most people believe will probably run for mayor again and anybody else who might happen to get in that race will they discuss city county merger and what their what their position is the freeholders that are supposed to be meeting but aren't meeting will that be an avenue for actual discussion mm-hmm. um will east west gateway council of governments which is now talking about maybe doing sort of the regional study on better use of the airport um will that Organization which already exists as a, as a regional sort of functioning body. Uh, will that be the organization that maybe takes the forefront in terms of some of those discussions? We need to continue to have those discussions. You know, the, the, uh, the, the failure of better together was really unfortunate because I was completely in favor of it until they proposed what they proposed and were dishonest about it. And, uh, Tried to shut out anybody who wanted to be part of the conversation and tried to say that we're not going to empower local voters and tried to make Steve Stinger the king. And I mean, <laughs> so many different things that they did that they did wrong were really unfortunate because the concept that they're talking about in terms of greater regionalism to, to, to raise all boats yeah. uh, uh, in a tide of economic growth. Is is the right concept? I believe for the reason to the opinion they went about it. They went about it completely wrong the wrong way. way.
0: And final question, and perhaps the most important question of everything we've discussed here in the last hour or so, uh, you're a you're a Colorado Rockies fan, but you're also a Cardinal fan, and I would imagine you're conflicted with the rumblings regarding your third baseman. The daily Nolan
1: Arenado rumblings kill me. It's because. <laughs> I'm having a crisis of conscience. So let's start with this. Nolan Arenado is the best uh, player uh, in the major leagues right now. Wow. He is a— Look at a, you. He is, he is the best third baseman in history. Sorry, Brooks Robinson. He is uh, a a great hitter, a great team leader. He's incredible. He's so good that I would consider— Flipping my loyalty of my top two teams, Rockies being one, Cardinals being two, if if the Rockies were to rip out my heart and trade him to the Cardinals, it would not be that hard for me to all of a sudden say— I'm a, a, a Cardinals fan first and a Rockies wow, fan second. And wow, keep in wow. mind, I have I have two bottles of of old fashioned bottles of Coke in my basement with a Rockies logo on it that came from their first year. I bought a six pack, you know, inaugural, you know, mm. opening season, 1993. That that I am waiting to drink when the Rockies win the World Series with one of my sons. And I uh, thought it was going to happen in 2007, but the Red Sox uh, probably cheated. Right. Um, <laughs> and and, and, you and, and so, right out and say it you at know, point. I, I, I don't want to give up that dream. Um, but, but the Rockies are, are slightly different than uh, my, my, my love for the Denver Broncos, which is in my DNA, which began at birth. Um, cause they didn't start until 1993 right. and I was already an adult and my, my two youngest kids have spent their entire life in Missouri and I already watched two Cardinals, uh, world series victories. And, and, and my son, uh, has gone to the, the elementary middle school and, um, high school of David freeze. And, uh, and, and so, I mean, there's, there's that, there's that connection. So if Nolan Arenado gets traded and, and right now I hope he doesn't, but if he gets traded, I hope it's to the Cardinals. And if it is, I'd, I'd, I'd consider, uh, uh, you know, elevating, I'll, I'll be the fan to be named later uh, <laughs> as part of the trade. Um, And Cause you're coming and over to the Cardinals because, 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 because he's that, he's that good. And, and uh, he's just, he's, you know, we, we in St. Louis, we 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 refer to um, Ozzy Smith as the Wizard, mm-hmm. and 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 Arenado is that at third base. Yeah. He's the the stuff he does defensively at third base is much more impressive than
0: uh, the the home runs and the doubles he hits, which are also incredible. Too. Yeah, it's it's something else. But your but your loyalty, you're 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 good here with what's going on with the Broncos and the University of Missouri. Drew oh my Locke.
1: gosh, Drew Locke. You know, I, I have this great. University of Missouri-Denver connection going on right now. We got Drew Locke as, as uh, the quarterback of, <laughs> of the Broncos uh, who will be the favorite to win the Super Bowl next year uh, because Drew Locke is going to be that good. And, and and MPJ who's now starting to finally get 18, 19, 20 minutes a game. Uh, 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 I don't know how many he scored last night, but, but has been uh, lately leading scorer for the Nuggets uh every now and then when when they actually play him regularly, mm-hmm. I think they finally realized he's he's potentially a superstar, you know. So two MU guys with my teams uh in Denver, it's 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 really been fun to have that connection and uh Drew Locke is gonna be I, did, a big, I have to tell you man I did not expect year. that.
0: I, did, I I didn't think Porter would ever get healthy and I wanted him to just yeah. for his sake as an individual and I just didn't think Drew Locke would have that kind of impact and it's not like Denver was lighting up the scoreboard before he came in they go down to Houston and they put up like 30 yeah. plus in the first half well
1: and they still and they're still and they they still didn't light up but they they've they got their offensive coordinator and now they now they got a new offensive coordinator coming in which which on one hand worries me cuz now Drew Locke has to have like his fifth yeah. offensive coordinator yes. in 5 years mm-hmm. and so that's a problem but when you saw the arm strength and the cockiness oh, yeah. and the ability to move. What's really interesting about Drew Locke is, you know, MU fans, we knew he could move. He can run and and he can do the RPO that, that a lot of the NFL quarterbacks do these days if he wants to. Um, but he's not a running quarterback in the way that we look at running quarterbacks these days. He's a quarterback with mobility that moves around the pocket really nicely. The The most interesting th- thing to me when he came into the lineup for the Broncos, other than, than just his incredible arm and how all of a sudden it's going to elevate the receivers, is all of a sudden our offensive line, which was one of the worst offensive lines in the league last year, looked normal. Yeah, Because he could just step around guys and 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 take a little step here, a little step there, move a little bit more than the other guys. He, he and he had an instinct for it, um, and all of a sudden the offensive line looked you know normal. They still weren't great, but it's like uh, Drew Locke wasn't getting beat up game after game out there. So I'm I'm really excited about that, and I'm really excited for MPJ hey. right now because I don't think he's ever going to be the athlete that. M.U. thought he was going to be, and he was as, as, as a high school player, right. and uh, he's just had too many injuries, but he's still plenty athletic, and he's so efficient. He's like, he's like three for five every night. Every time he plays 15, 20 minutes and makes a couple of threes, he's like three for five, seven for eight. I mean, he's just really efficient. He's either hitting a three or... Or he's dunking an offensive rebound home. Yeah. Uh, he he looks really good. I, I'm I'm excited to continue to watch him play. I'm thrilled to
0: see it. I really am happy for both those guys. I did. And I honestly I did not expect it, and I uh, I would love to see Arnato here, and then you be the fan to be named later. That'll be a wonderful announcement on Twitter. I look forward I, to.
1: I it. I you know I just I just hope that there's a little bit of a cash consideration that <laughs> comes with it, that. Sure. I, mean, <laughs> I mean at least league minimum for the very least. <laughs> Tony, it's always great to have you, in. thank you so much. Thanks for having the time. me. Good to see you, and let's uh, do this again sometime. Absolutely, time. man. Thank
0: you so much. Cool. So there it is, Tony Messenger of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch with us here on the Tim McKernan Show. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. I always welcome feedback. Perhaps the interview led to some questions you would like to ask or some complaints, some compliments. Anything's welcome. Tim McKernan at InsideSTL.com. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com is where you can send those anytime. Everything is welcome. Uh, thank you to Ryan Kelly, expert.com Mark Hanna, EvergreenSTL.com, James Carlton, CarltonInsurance.net, Johnny Londoff, Chevrolet, Highway 270, the Washington Elizabeth exit, online at Londoff.com, Chevy Fine New Roads, and Seth Goldcamp at Design Air Heating and Cooling, online at DesignAirService.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. Um, Tony Messenger talking it over over a wide variety of, of topics that uh, I know you know, people line up on, on sides. But the, 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 I think the part of the discussion I enjoyed the most perhaps was when he was talking about um, how there's a gentleman who emails him and disagrees with 9 out of 10 columns he writes, but as opposed to like yelling at each other and having some kind of unhealthy social media relationship or email exchange with personal attacks, uh, you know, it's a give and take. And they, they share the common bond. Of uh, of children and um, and what Tony has written resonating with this gentleman and uh, and telling the story of how this gentleman sent him a link and Tony was able to point out that the link was false and uh, and because they had that kind of rapport as opposed to go no it's not and you're just a liberal the guy was like oh I appreciate you pointing that out thank you that gives me a you know gives me some pause on it uh, I think I just think that's healthy as opposed to go no it's not and you're invested in I like that. I like that. I think it's healthy. Um, and, I, and it also is, is just, I think, it, I think what leads to so much of the anger and the attacks in social media that absolutely go both ways um, is not necessarily viewing the person on the other end of the argument as a person. Uh, it's just a message who represents somebody you don't like in politics, most likely, or perhaps in policy, but most likely politics. And I liked that uh, story in addition to all of the other discussions. I just enjoy having a conversation with him. Tony Messenger and David Hunt, Gangster Pete. I could sit there and I could talk to him forever. Yeah, i could listen to those. I love both those guys. Yeah, I really enjoy those conversations. So uh, thank you to Gangster Pete and Iggy for setting it up. Thank you to you for listening. Thank you, Tony, for coming in. And thank you to our sponsors for making it all possible. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.
1: Peloton, let's go